As you know, we've been working our way through the book of Ephesians, but for our communion service this morning, we are setting that aside and plan to return to it next week. I ask, if you will, to turn to a passage I dearly love and love to preach, Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16. It's been three years since I preached this text, and I'm longing to do it this morning. Now let me remind you that the book of Leviticus is one of the five books written by Moses, the man of God. It is God's word. It has been given by divine inspiration, as has all of God's word. The Exodus took place in 1446 B.C. This, of course, was written after the giving of the law, but somewhere in that time frame. So this is long, long before the Lord Jesus uh, left his heavenly home, came into this earth into this world, assumed human nature, and died on a cross and rose from the dead. Nonetheless, the book of Leviticus is filled with what we call types. That is to say, foreshadowings of Christ who was to come. And we see that especially in chapter 16 when we read of the Day of Atonement. Now we're not reading the entirety of the chapter, but I will be taking into consideration the entire chapter this morning. We will be reading... Leviticus 16, verses 20 through 22. Before reading, let's bow before the Lord in prayer. Once again, Heavenly Father, we open your word, and we would submit our minds and hearts and lives to it, and ask that as we, your children, now turn to this word, that in your fatherly care you will speak to us from this word in ways that we cannot anticipate. For our purpose this morning is to remember what Christ has done for us before coming to the table. And so, Father, may we know, may we remember, may we be deeply, deeply thankful. And for those who may be in our midst today who do not know the Lord Jesus at all, we pray that you will open their hearts and that this might be the day in which the Spirit of God draws them, grants them saving faith, and they trust in Jesus Christ freely offered in the gospel. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, the one who has given us this word, the one who died for our sins, the one who rose again, and the one who now ultimately is the preacher. For this minister is nothing. Christ is all and in all. Amen. Leviticus chapter 16, beginning with verse 20. This is the word of God. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. How may we come to the Father? How can we sinners be accepted of God? How can we be restored to fellowship with the Lord? Only through Christ crucified. 
Without the shedding of blood, says the book of Hebrews, there is no remission of sins. There is no fellowship of God without the person of Christ who came and shed his blood to make atonement for our sins on the cross. And that is prefigured here in Leviticus 16 the Day of Atonement. Every year, once per year, as the high priest would go into the innermost sanctuary of the tabernacle, later of the temple, and would offer sacrifices, sprinkling the blood of the sacrifices on the altar. It was a type. It was a symbolic forecast of the coming of Jesus Christ who gave His life for our sins. The blood of the sinless substitute opens the way to God. And so once per year, the high priest opens the veil to the Holy of Holies. Having drawn it back, he entered in where there was the Ark of the Covenant containing the law that we sinners broke in order to make atonement and point us to the ultimate one, the real atonement who would come, the real Redeemer of sinners, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we cannot cover everything in this great chapter, but I would have us to see these things. First of all, I want you to see the high priest entered. The high priest entered. And how did he enter? According to Leviticus 16, he entered divested of his glory. On all other occasions, the high priest wore the great mitre, was dressed in gold and purple, Glorious and splendid were his garments. But on this day he afflicted his soul with all of the people of God, put off his robes of glory and beauty, prefiguring the one who would put off his robes of splendor, who would come into this world and assume human nature and become obedient even to death on a cross. This prefigures again your Lord Jesus Christ who assumed manhood, took upon himself a crown of thorns, was mocked in a purple robe, and in his naked body hung on the cross, divested of his visible glory. But the high priest also entered spotlessly. He put on the holy linen garments, all white from head to toe spotlessly white. Human sinful priests, they needed to be atoned for. But as he entered into the most holy place, he prefigured the one who was the spotless sacrifice that would take away the sins of his people. The high priest could ensure acceptance of God's people as he was considered judicially clean. But your Lord Jesus Christ was morally clean. As we are told in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God hath made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He entered spotlessly. He also entered alone. We read in verse 17, no one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. He entered into the most holy place and sprinkled the blood and he did these things alone. All of the offices of the day were done by him. Pointing again to Christ, who is the only mediator between God and man. There is no other. 
He is the one who tread the winepress of the wrath of God alone. He is the one who entered into the darkness alone. He is the one who alone bore the wrath of God, who alone took our hell for us, who alone paid the penalty of our sins. No other could atone for sin but Jesus Christ. And he did it, he did it alone. But also, the high priest on that day entered in laboriously, And if later you will take the time to read carefully this chapter and other references to the Day of Atonement in the Pentateuch, you will find that the sacrifices and the blood sprinkling and all that he did seemed almost too much for one man in one day. It was laborious. But how great was Jesus' work for us as he entered into those dark hours for us access into Christ's presence through the greatest work that was ever accomplished. Have you ever stopped to consider that what Jesus did was work? He earned our salvation so that we who could never earn our salvation, for us, his work is sheer grace. And he entered annually, once per year, the high priest and the Old Testament offered sacrifices, perpetually offered every year, reminding them that they needed a sacrifice who ultimately would culminate in Jesus who would come and sacrifice himself for our sins, but once per year pointing to the fact that Christ died once, the just for the unjust to bring us to God. And so he died once. His sacrifice never needs repeating. His sacrifice is infinitely valuable, which means that his sacrifice can cover the sins of the deepest sinner, no matter who that sinner may be or how great your sins have been. And so we find this Old Testament high priest entering, entering divested of glory, spotlessly, alone, laboriously, and annually in all of this pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, there are some things about this high priest that as they point to Christ, they point to Christ in order to say the high priest is not like the one who would come. And so the second thing that I would have you see is the high priest himself in the Old Testament, the high priest needed an offering. His very first offering was for himself. He slays the sin offering and fills the bowl with blood and takes the coals from the altar and sprinkles the incense, putting a veil between himself and the glory of God, as well as showing that the sacrifice is accepted before the Lord. He enters the most holy place and sprinkles the blood on the mercy seat, Showing, as old Andrew Bonner put it, the law is magnified, Jehovah glorified, and the sinner justified. And in needing a sin offering for himself, he was unlike the Lord Jesus Christ, who needed no sin offering because he had no sins for which an offering needed to be made. Aaron was ceremonially spotless once this sacrifice was made. Jesus came and was already morally spotless, holy, sinless, undefiled, separate from sinners. A spotless sacrifice. Do you realize that if you think that you are somehow saved by your works, 
that you have no work that you can offer and no work that you can bring, and if you did, that it must be completely and utterly a life that is spotless, and that is not you and it is not me. But Jesus Christ is that spotless sacrifice. No sin was in his heart needing removal, needing atonement. And what does this teach us? Only one was good enough to pay the price of sin. And that was the Son of God who assumed human nature and went to a cross. The high priest needed a sin offering, but our great high priest needed no such offering, for he is that spotless lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Will you also notice in this chapter, thirdly, the sin offering that is made for the people, the sin offering that points to Christ and is made for the people on this great day of atonement. Look at verses 15 and 16. There we find, then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of the transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. Now there are two young goats, according to this text, that are brought for the offering. Two goats one offering, which will be very important as we move along. Two goats representing one offering before the Lord. One shows the means of atonement. The other will show the glorious effects of the atonement. They are presented together. The Lord determined by Lot which should be slain, for he is the God who determined that his son would come into the world. And it is presented at the door of the tabernacle. Why? Because entrance into the very presence of God is through God's provision of His Son who shed His blood, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by Me. The sacrifice is brought to the entrance to show that there is only one way that you can enter into God's presence with acceptance. And that is through what Jesus has done when He shed His blood on the cross. About the offering, we notice that it was an unblemished offering. And of course it had to be, for it pointed to Jesus Christ who was the unblemished Son of God who assumed human nature and was sacrificed for us. But also it was slaughtered. Oh, we read the text and it says that He killed the goat and we read on. But folks, use your imagination. What does that mean? Can you not hear the cry of the animal? Can you, not, can you not see the convulsions? Can you not see the, the blood that gushes from the slaughtered animal? Agony, blood, and do you not see far, far greater than this sacrifice, the sacrifice of the Son of God for you, who was slaughtered on behalf of those of us who deserve to pay the penalty of our sins, that through His sweat, through His blood, through His agony on the cross, it pleased the Lord to crush Him, putting Him to grief. See from His head, His hands, His feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? 
And then the high priest took this blood, this blood of sacrifice, and he sprinkled it within the veil. Taking it within the veil, he sprinkled on the mercy seat the blood of atonement seven times before the Lord, providing the perfect standing for God's people. The most holy place was filled with the cry of blood. The blood cries out for the guilty to be forgiven. And the Lord, dwelling between the cherubim, bends down to listen. But listen, the Lord does not look down on broken commandments. And he does not look down on people that are to be condemned because we have broken the law of God. But he did then and he does supremely now through our great high priest who shed his blood look down upon a people who in Christ have obeyed the law perfectly, who in Christ have paid the penalty perfectly. When God looks upon us, he does not look upon his people to condemn. He does not look within us and see, oh, you lawbreaker deserving my wrath. He looks down and he is at peace with us, his people. People of God, atonement is through blood. There are those who say, don't give me a religion of blood or a slaughterhouse religion, but I see it everywhere in the Bible and there is no redemption without it. Hebrews 9.12 says, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, He entered in once to the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption. McShane spoke of this so powerfully. Sinners were seeking, sinking beneath the red-hot flames of hell. He plunged in. Christ plunged in and swam through the awful surge and gathered his own into his bosom. The sword of justice was bare and glittering, ready to destroy us. He opened his bosom and let the stroke fall on him. We were set up as a mark for God's arrows of vengeance. Jesus came between and they pierced him through and through. Every arrow that should have pierced our souls stuck fast in him. Every arrow that should have pierced our souls I'm the one that broke his law. I'm the one that offended his holiness. I am the sinner deserving his displeasure. Every, every arrow that should have pierced our souls stuck fast in him. God demonstrates his own love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the provision of the Father that you might be accepted. This is the only way that you can enter into God's presence accepted. It is through the shed blood of Jesus. And I believe also that it pictures here Christ's heavenly high priestly work. For having once for all sacrificed himself, Jesus then ascended on high... And your priest has taken his blood within the veil, the book of Hebrews teaches. And there, now, your heavenly high priest merit cries out in effectual grace, that sinner for whom I died, that sinner who once deserved infinite displeasure, that sinner for whom I gave my life, see him now as righteous as I am through my shed blood, totally justified and completely accepted. Well, that's the atonement that was made. 
pointing to the ultimate atonement of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And I ask you, my friend, do you know that you need a Savior? Do you know that you need a Redeemer? Do you know that you can only come through the shed blood of Jesus Christ? Have you trusted Jesus Christ alone for your redemption? But then I want us to look, fourthly, at the glorious effects of the atonement. What are the results? What are the effects of the atonement? Well, this great atonement is represented. Remember, two goats, one sacrifice. This goat that is sometimes called the scapegoat. In verse 21 Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people. This is the imputation of our sin, the transference of our guilt to the sacrifice that his perfect righteousness might be transferred to us. And so Aaron, the great high priest, lays his hands upon this scapegoat. Representing, of course, the goat who was slain, upon whom our guilt has been transferred. A symbolic transfer of our guilt to the sacrifice. My crimes transferred to him. My sin, all of it, transferred to him. My guilt transferred to him who was made a curse for us. Galatians 3.13 And as we heard Isaiah 53 read before the service, that passage also says, The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And what is the result of that transference? My sin to this great sacrifice. Well, again, look at verses 21 and 22. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it, all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. So imagine this. The people of God have seen the transference of their guilt to this sacrifice, and they see this sacrifice walk away, and their eyes follow him, led by someone as far as the eye can see, until finally beyond the horizon, they see their sin no more. Complete atonement. The complete removal of sin. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what has happened to your sin? Oh, let's look at familiar verses. Psalm 103. What has happened to my sin? Psalm 103. Beginning at verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove 
our transgressions. Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah 43, verse 25. You know this passage. What has happened to my sin? Isaiah 43, 25. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Isaiah chapter 44 Verse 22, just turn the page, verse 22. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Micah, chapter 7. Micah, chapter 7, verse 18 and following. Micah 7, 18, what has happened to my sin? Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. What has happened to the guilt of the man, the woman, the child who now trusts in Jesus Christ, the great substitute, the great sacrifice for sinners? In the language of old Patrick Fairburn, it is lost in everlasting oblivion. The Lord does not look upon you as a guilty sinner any longer. He does not look upon you as one under his wrath and condemnation. But all of your guilt was transferred to your great sacrifice and all of his righteousness, that is his perfect record, has been imputed, transferred to your account. No recording of sin in God's court of law, free access into his presence, judicially no sin is found at all because of this great exchange Righteousness, complete and perfect, has become mine because all of my sin is upon Christ, the sacrifice on the cross. Do you see the finality of it? I mean the finality. In verse 23, Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And of course we could read on. But Aaron left his linen garments, left them there. Why? Because the sin offering has been sacrificed. Pointing to the great statement of our Savior on the cross when he cried out, It is finished. Do you remember what the old divine said? I've told you before. He did death done. It is finished, people of God. Remember that. He did death done. A completed, efficient atonement. A sacrifice that actually accomplishes its purpose. Do you remember how I sometimes illustrate this? I love this. Here's the fellow in prison. He's in chains. He's behind bars. He can do nothing to set himself free. 
someone comes along and says, oh, I'm a wealthy man. I can, I can pay your ransom price. All I ask of you is that you break your chains and, and tear down the bars, and then I'll pay the price for you. That's the atonement presented by some. That's no atonement. The atonement of Jesus is this. Here I am in chains behind the bars, and he comes and tells me, I paid your ransom price, and his cross becomes the battering ram that breaks down the door and chops the chains from my arms and sets his people free. That's what he did when he shed his blood on the cross. Christ did save his people. Christ will save his people. Christ will lose none of his own. No pain, no suffering, no opposition, no persecution, nothing in life, nothing in death, nothing above, nothing below us, nothing beside us, absolutely nothing, absolutely no one will keep his purchased people from our inheritance or make his blood of no avail. Now, see your high priest... The blood has been shed. It is finished. It is done. And there the resurrected Christ ascends and sits at the right hand of God. And there his perfect merit pleads for us, his people. So I bring this to a conclusion with two things. If your trust is in Christ alone for your redemption, you are trusting a Christ whose atonement is actually efficient and has actually accomplished its purpose. And that means that not a little bit of your sin, or most of your sin, or some of your sin, but all of your sin has been paid for by your Savior on the cross. Look again at verse 21. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it, all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. Don't we sing it? My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin not in part but the whole has been nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And then let me say this. The work of atonement, just in the event that someone is not hearing, let me underscore, the work of saving a sinner is not your work. The work of atoning for sins is not something that you or I are capable of achieving. Only Jesus Christ could do this great thing. And on your own, read verses 29 through 31 in which it makes plain that the priest did all the work, no one else. No work on our part can make us acceptable to God or pay the price of our sin. No work whatsoever. You know, our friend Mr. Spurgeon, when his sermons were being circulated in his lifetime around the world, was addressed by a minister who thought that he had been a priest. Uh, He told me, says Spurgeon, 
that he owed everything to me because I had been the means of leading him to Jesus. He said he was only a humble vicar of the Church of England, so I asked what his line of teaching had once been. Very high, he replied. You have to understand by this he was saying he was an Anglo-Catholic. Very high, he replied. But I asked, did you pretend to forgive people's sins? Yes, he answered. Then I inquired, how did you get rid of the idea that you were a priest? Well, he said, I sincerely believed myself to be a priest until I read one of your sermons. That convinced me of my own state as a sinner, and the priesthood oozed out of me directly. Now I'm trusting in the Lord Jesus for salvation, and I point my congregation to him alone. There's someone here, and the priest needs to ooze out of you directly. Because you're trusting in someone else other than Christ as your priest. You're trusting in some work that you're performing as your priest. You're trusting in something that you accomplish or you think you're achieving or what you think are good works but are not in the sight of God. You're trusting in someone or something other than Jesus Christ. You're trying to be your own priest. There is only one who can forgive sins. And that is God through the blood of Jesus Christ. He is the great high priest of his people. Again we sing, Jesus my great high priest offered his blood and died. My guilty conscience seeks no sacrifice beside. His powerful blood did once atone and now it pleads before the throne. And so all of the glory for this goes to the Lamb. All goes to him who sacrificed All goes to him who shed his blood, his wounds, his cross, his work for us. In my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. So it's not see what my hands have done, see what I can achieve, see what I can accomplish. It's all as filthy rags in the presence of a holy God. It's see what Jesus has done and what he has done once for all when he shed his blood on his cross. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And people of God, do you remember the hymn we sang last week? Finished all the types and shadows of the ceremonial law, finished all that God has promised, death and hell no more shall awe. It is finished. It is finished. It is finished. Saints, from hence your comfort draw. Saints, from hence your comfort draw. Folks, do you believe this? Do you know that Jesus is the only one who can redeem? Do you understand that he's the only one who can save? Do you see that his blood is efficient? And do you see that his blood is sufficient for the vilest sinner that ever sinned against a holy and infinitely righteous God? Oh, if you've not trusted in him, come to him. His blood is sufficient and can remove your sin and remove your stain. Come to him and people of God, from hence let us draw our comfort even as we come to the table of the Lord this morning and remember him who did this great thing for us. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.